is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode, Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. Back to the bullpen we go today. Got our guy Sam Ekstrom filling in for Reggie today. Sam doing all kinds of utility work today, filling in for Ron Johnson on the Ron Johnson Show with Gabe Henderson. And I heard special guest Michael Pierce. Make sure to check that out. Another gem you can find on the Locked On Minnesota Network every day. Sam, you're all warmed up, ready to roll. I'm ready to go. Yeah, I'm I'm into my rhythm, and uh, the more you can do, right? I'm a five-tool player, so a little Ron show, a little superior sports talk. Um, love coming on with you, man, and I'm excited to see what you have for me. I'm ready to get on the hot seat, if you will. Yeah, well, they say it's the slow time in sports news, but we got plenty to break down today, talking Vikings' biggest battles, going into training camp just around the corner, plus just how serious are the Twins to making a move for some pitching help. And later, as you mentioned, I'm going to put Sam on the hot seat with what does it mean. All coming up on Superior Sports Talk. Remember to follow along on the Locked On Minnesota YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. And on Twitter, smash that follow button at Locked On M-I-N. All right. To football we go. 53 days until week one of the NFL season kicks off. And that means training camp is right around the corner just days away. Sam will be out at the friendly confines at TCO Practice Facility in Egan. Sam, before we get into the thick of things here, we've came a long way from the days of meeting at the Lakeville SA off 35W, carpooling <laughs> down to Mankato with a tall, freshly brewed 100% Colombian coffee in one hand, Sam's daily diet of chocolate glazed donuts, beef jerky, Cheez-Its, only to stand out in the Mankato heat for eight hours and watch Everson Griffin put Matt Khalil in the spin cycle and see if Antoine Exum and Audie Cole could do enough to secure the spot on the 53-man roster. Those were the days, huh? You got a favorite memory from those dog days down at Mankato? Oh, goodness. I mean, (laughs) Mankato was all about the community and the atmosphere, right? I mean, the football wasn't that different. Probably a little more physical, probably a little hotter back in those days. I mean, even in 10 years, sort of the expectation has changed for how hard you're working during these these training camp uh, practices. But the community of Mankato came alive to such an extent that you actually looked forward to lunch hour with your buddies because you'd go out to some different, you know, establishment every day or after practice, you'd go get a drink at one of the local uh, watering holes. Not quite the same atmosphere in Egan, which is much more corporate. Um, they're still developing a lot of the land, so there's not a lot of places to go. You've got the Omni Hotel kind of in the background, but there's not really a lot there except the football facilities, whereas Mankato was this immersive experience. So I just remember going to Matt Khalil's pizza joint, flashing the credential, and them saying, oh, yeah, Matt said you're good. Go ahead, get your pizza. Um, <laughs> Matt Khalil trying to get in the good graces of the reporters. So that was the best part of Mankato. Uh, it was obviously a grind, but it was there was something novel about it. Mm-hmm. Egan is just a little more sterilized, um, where you don't really feel that 
energy quite as much as you did in Mankato. I was in the car writing about Scott Crichton and Willie Beaver's highlights from the afternoon practice. Or if Marcus Sherrill's could show enough on the punt jug machine to stick to that last and final roster spot for the, what, 13th year in a row. Meanwhile, Sam's in the driver's seat blasting Kenny G and Cat Stevens speeding down 35 dub. Getting pulled over. (laughs) At 730 in the morning. Hey, we won't divulge all our behind the scenes stories. We'll have to save some for the tell-all book that's in the works or the 30 for 30 doc. So how about this year's most intriguing camp battles? Because even with the large majority of all 22 starting spots locked up, there's still plenty of very intriguing positions to keep an eye out on. What's the top two or three that kind of stick out to you as camp starts just a few days from now? Yeah, I think defensive line is interesting. I don't know if I don't know if there were a lot of starting spots that are up for grabs, Luke. I think I mean if you look at the whole roster, right guard probably is the the big one, and then you've got a decent idea what they're going to do at cornerback, I guess the second safety spot between Bynum and Scene. Um, But I think that defensive line depth, right? Because defensive line is a rotational position. You're not playing 100% of the snaps. Mm -hmm. You are inevitably going to take breaks. So you end up going with eight guys, you know, in a given game. You've got a couple backup tackles, a couple backup edge rushers. And I look at what the Vikings have become the last couple of years when injuries have bitten them. Uh, Daniil Hunter obviously hurt each of the last two years. Everson Griffin missing the second half of last year. And, you know, suddenly you've got Sheldon Richardson trying to play defensive end. Uh, you know, you've got Kenny Willickis you're relying upon. DJ Wanham is your number one edge rusher. And that's just not a place you want to be in. So I want to see who emerges uh, in those depth areas behind Harrison Phillips, Dallin Tomlinson, Daniil Hunter, and Zadarius Smith. Um, like I mentioned to Second safety beside Harrison Smith, I think is pretty compelling because Cameron Bynum had a heck of an audition last year, Luke. I mean, you saw him in the Ravens game. Uh, You saw him in, was it the, not Cowboys, was it the Packers game? He The two starts he had, mm-hmm. whichever, which are uh, San, uh, Los Angeles. Los With Angeles Xavier game. Woods out versus the Rams. Yep. 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 Um, were, was very good. So is Lewis Seen going to come in? and have that kind of impact right away. I mean, maybe. Bynum was a rookie last year, and obviously he was a fourth-round pick. Scene is a rookie this year. He's a first-round pick. So in theory, Scene could be just as ready as Bynum was, maybe to to make an impact. So I I get the sense that there is going to be some competition between them, and maybe the coaching staff doesn't even know who the week one starter is going to be at this point. My gut tells me that Bynum probably gets the nod in week one. Scene gets in in sub-packages. And then they find a way to incorporate him as the season goes along. Um, But I'm going to be watching that second safety spot closely. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it, though. Yeah, well, I am very interested to know maybe the odds of these top rookies that are going to be starting in week one, like Lewis Seen over Cam Bynum, Andrew Booth Jr. over Cam Dantzler. You can find a plethora of prop bets and more on Bet Bet BetOnline, your number one source for all your betting needs. Stats, news, info. BetOnline makes betting easy. Go to BetOnline.net today to learn more. That's BetOnline.net. It's where the game starts. No, you're absolutely right. We did some superlatives on the show maybe three weeks ago, and Cam Bynum 
was my breakout star coming out. So I think even though they used a first-round pick, and hey, we know, you don't use a first-round pick on a guy and not start him as early as you can. But Cam Bynum was so good, he's going to find a way to get some action and see the field. And I think Lewis Seen may just be forced to have to baby into this role here those first few weeks. And Cam Bynum may just be a guy that tries his best not to give up that starting position because what he flashed right in those two games that he started showed a lot of promise. At the end of the day, it just comes down to talent, and the best talent's going to win out. And I think Cam Bynum showed enough to find at least ways to force coaches to find a way to get all three of these guys on the field in sub packages and, and different wrinkles and different looks. Back to other top position battles. I think by default, we always talk about the center position. That feels like a done deal though, right? I mean, they're giving Bradbury every chance to start. It's his to lose. Obviously, you mentioned right guard. That's at the top of the list. But digging a little deeper, I too want to know about this front seven because there's so many moving pieces going on in Ed Donatel's new defense. What kind of wrinkles and sub-packages can we kind of glean from camp in this new system? We know Armin Watts, penciled in as the third defensive lineman, but I'm here to tell you, I think James Lynch is going to make some serious noise and make a push for that starting spot by the time this is all said and done. He flashed a lot for me when on the field, and now he gets to move to his more natural position as a five-tech instead of the three-tech in Zimmer's 4-3 system. So jot that name down. The backup edge spot behind Zedarius and Hunter, knock on wood, let's hope they can play a full slate, but if and when they do miss time, who's going to be the next guy in line? DJ Wanham, we brought him up the other day. He quietly had eight sacks, so he's the obvious backup. But then it gets really interesting because you've got two guys who were drafted last year that we still know nothing about. I mean, it's almost like their rookie year all over again. Janarius Robinson, who landed on the IR, and Patrick Jones coming out of pit was drafted in the third round. You don't draft a guy in the third round without a little bit of talent behind him. So we haven't seen what those guys can do yet. And finally, I just want to know your thoughts on special teams. I know it doesn't get a lot of love or spotlight, but there is some intriguing storylines in the cracks of this roster foundation, starting with punter Jordan Berry. Thought he was solid last year. They bring in Ryan Wright to compete with him. And more importantly, punt returner. We know Kenny Nwangu has the return game locked up, but he's got no punt return experience from Iowa State. So it's not as easy as just maybe plugging him in back there. Instead, I expect to see Smith-Marset, Jalen Naylor, B.C. Johnson, and will K.J. Osborne get some reps? Or now that he's entrenched as that wide receiver three, are they going to stay kind of cautious with him? Quick thoughts on the special teams and maybe just any other players that uh, could make some noise maybe fans aren't thinking about. Yeah, so new coordinator right in Matt Daniels, and with mm -hmm. a new coordinator probably comes new philosophies. So, for instance, Ryan Ficken last year, he would just he would take touchbacks every time they would kick off. He would just tell Greg Joseph, hey, kick it through the end zone. And they would they had the highest touchback rate, I think, in the league. Will Matt Daniels be more assertive? Will he want to kick it short and dare teams to run it out and maybe pin him deeper um, and be a little more aggressive in their, their special teams unit there? Jordan Berry, as punter, I felt like was good enough. Um, I understand why you bring in competition there. But I would have liked to keep around the competition for place kicker as well. Um, they obviously brought in the kicker, Gabe Bursich from Oklahoma. He lasted a month, didn't do a ton in OTAs, and they cut him. And now they go into training camp with one place kicker. I, for one, don't think Greg Joseph was good enough to be immune from competition last year. He made some big kicks, Luke. 
he missed some big kicks too. It was about 50-50. Um, the miss against Arizona was inexcusable. He missed a big one against Detroit. He missed a big one against Carolina. Um, and it really balanced out where you didn't know what you were going to get. You might get a hero and you might get a villain on any given Sunday. And that's not what you want from your kicker. You want to have the utmost confidence in that guy. And just because he finished the year on a four-game streak, I think, without missing a kick, doesn't erase what happened earlier in the year. And it's not like Greg Joseph has a track record of having years and years of success before, like like Dan Bailey. Like he, He's per, still a pretty young kicker. So I would have liked to have more competition at that spot. Um, and as far as kick return goes, you know, on the kickoff, that's almost a, a moot point. You know, Ken Wangwu makes it interesting because he has shown he can return those. But I think teams are going to kick away from him so much that it might be hard for him to get opportunities. And at punt, probably Amir Smith-Marset's position to lose if he can, you know, be healthy because he's been in that walking boot. Albert Wilson, definitely an option. Um, and then we'll see about Jalen Naylor, whether he, whether he can make the team. That's probably a good one to watch in the preseason because that's been tough to nail down for the Vikings since Marcus Sherrill's left. A lot of good points on special teams, especially Greg Joseph. Albert Breer, I don't know if you saw that, tweeted out the top 10 salary caps in the NFL. And all of a sudden, the Vikings and Kwesi sit at number eight with like 14 million in cap. Just like that. I know they have 89 rostered players as we stand here today. That means one roster spot is open. Could be anything from a big name. Uh, fans are open for a JC Treader, Nandamakan Sue, maybe even Sheldon Richardson, who knows? Or could just be to bring in that second kicker just to bring in some healthy competition. Pretty cool to see these position battles get some healthy debate going. We want to hear from you. Go comment on the YouTube channel. Let us know what you think. 53 days until week one of the NFL season. Vikings training camp, just a few more bedtimes away. Until then, Reggie, Sam, Ron, and I got you covered every step of the way. All right, to baseball we go. Twins enjoying their last day off after a six-day stretch of rest. They play tomorrow, start their second half. So it got me thinking, what are the most intriguing storylines heading into the start of this kind of final chapter, the second half? We're in the thick of summer baseball now, and I can't lie to you, Sam. I just keep thinking about... Miguel Sano and if the twins are going to call him up and if so could we see the old second half Sano quick thoughts on this guy and what you think will happen with just basically hours before a decision needs to take place because there's been some buzz and some rumors swirling he started to heat up down at AAA with the Saints and now it's like okay could this be a guy that we bring back in the second half and makes an impact or have we been burned too many times by this and it's just time to kind of cut ties Yes, that. that <laughs> okay, is, that one. That, okay. that is what I would like to do. I, I am tired. I'm tired of Miguel Sano. I'm tired of the fluctuations and the long portions of games where he is a non-factor defensively, he does not run the bases, and he strikes out far too much with, with, with non-competitive at-bats. So let's think this through, Luke. Miguel Sano, defensively at this point of his career, he's playing first base. That's it. He's not going to play third. Urshela is just so much better there. Um, he's not going to play outfield. He just can't move around well enough. He has to play first base, or he has to be the DH. So who would he be stealing at bats from? Jose Miranda has been lighting the world on fire. Over those past 30 games, he's batting over 300. He's got almost a 300 OBP, and he's got eight home runs, 32 RBIs. That is a young, exciting player that you're going to take at-bats from for Miguel Sano, who's had eight years to figure this out, 
no, sir, no thank you. Unless there's an injury that brings this possibility to the forefront, there's no way I would take Jose Miranda out of this lineup. Um, I wouldn't take Kyle Garlic out of the lineup. He's hitting 273, 330 on base. Obviously, Arise is pretty useful as a first baseman. That's a good place to get him involved. You're not touching him. Alex Kirloff is now hitting 268. You've got good young players that are blocking Miguel Sano's path, and they should. They absolutely should. Miguel Sano has not shown me enough to say that he has an automatic roster spot. Um, and I don't know if it's – the baseball has reduced the expanded rosters too late in the season, so I don't even know if he gets a call up late in the year. They don't bring it up to 40 men like they used to. So I think Miguel Sano might have a long stint with the Saints coming unless the injury bug bites again. I, I don't really care to see more of him. I don't know. How do you feel, Luke? Well, from that explanation, I think I got my answer, but I wanted you to explain this to me like I'm five. Does Miguel mm -hmm. Sano have any trade value at this point because like it feels like with this late surgence of buzz around his name this was a big name remember just three four years ago it was supposed to be Buxton and Sano were supposed to be the heart and soul of this twins lineup for the next decade so there's got to be still some upside to him but does that mean he's a guy that you could add into a trade for say a starting pitcher that gets talked about a lot to help kind of seal the deal or at this point is it strictly all on the twins as far as with whatever remaining value he can bring to the lineup because you brought up a good point on this roster there's too many young guys you don't want him to steal time from but on another roster could Miguel Sano bring some sort of value is there any trade value whatsoever with this guy is that an option no not the type that would move the needle okay uh, you, you could you could you could get a low-level prospect okay for, for Miguel Sano you're not getting anything that's going to help you this year if you could Luke Yes, you, you do it because mm -hmm. it's a perfect time to get out from under him. Final year of his contract, I mean, it, it would be a rental for any team that's acquiring him. So that alone reduces the value. Um, but also coming off an injury, looking at what he did produce when he was healthy this year, the, the, the performance expectation would be so low that nobody's going to be eager to go uh, give up anything of value to acquire him. It's a good question. Uh, it would have been an intriguing piece, but no, I don't think Minnesota's gonna gonna you know have it that easy. If they want to get meaningful um, starting pitching or bullpen pitching, and this is easily my biggest talker going into the second half of the year, is what are you willing to part with? Are you willing to part with a prospect that's of the caliber of like an Austin Martin who you just acquired in the in the Jose Barrios trade? Um, a Jordan Balazovich, who you've been grooming for years now. Are you willing to part with someone like that that's been part of your organization for a long time? That Those are the decisions facing uh, Falvey and Levine that are going to be really, really difficult because they're in the middle ground right now. They're not a great team. They're not a bad team. They have a great chance to make the playoffs, maybe not a great chance to, to make a real playoff run. Uh, do they part with future pieces? To, to get something that can help him win right now? That's the big question facing them. I think Miguel Sano needs to drop whatever diet he's on and start hitting the Built Bars. Built Bar, made with collagen protein, so it's easily digestible and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. Go to Built.com, use promo code LOCKED15, and get 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15. 15. Do the Twins need to make a move, like no matter who it's for, just to show the fan base 
we're pushing the chips all in here. I mean, every year we get to this point and it's no, 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 no. We're not going to mortgage the future and not for the now. No, we're not going to do that. But they've said that for the past two decades while other teams go take a swing on a big name, get aggressive and say, you know what? Let's just go for it. Maybe we can win 85 games. And if you can win 85, why not try to win 90? Because then the MLB, if you can win 90 games, sneak in the playoffs. We've seen it time and time again. Anything can happen in October baseball. Anyone's got a chance to go on a run. Does this front office owe the fan base something after all these years and missed opportunities? Have they've watched that window close time and time again without making a big move and going for it? What do you think as far as the front office and just finally being aggressive here? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I look at the way the Twins entered this offseason where they had sold a lot of pieces last year. They were a miserable team, and they decided, hey, we're going to try to be competitive. So they, they swing a bunch of deals. They bring in Urshela. Um, they bring in Correa, the biggest swing of all. They bring in Sonny Gray. So they clearly wanted to win this year. So if you wanted to win, and now you're in this position where you can capture a bad division with ease and make the playoffs, and you can reap the benefits of having a handful of, uh, of playoff crowds in, tar in target field, why would you not do everything it takes to, to try to fulfill that? Because here you are, your investment in the offseason helped get you to this point, so now you got to continue to invest. You can't stop there. You got to keep going. When you invest in the offseason, that implies that you're going to make an effort to invest in the regular season. And that's going to mean parting with some prospects. I'm, I'm sorry, but they're going to have to detach themselves from some of the double A, triple A guys if they want to get impact arms up here. Now, the Twins in the past have taken half measures, I would say, to address uh, trade deadline needs. They've brought in you know, rel relievers like Sam Dyson, who turned out to be disastrous. Um, you know, years and years ago, they brought in Matt Caps, a, uh, a closer at the deadline. And, you know, these are fine pieces. They are not luxury pieces. And I guess I don't need the Twins to go get luxury pieces, but I would like them to try and swing a little bigger than they have in years past. And if it means parting with a top five prospect, it means parting with a top five prospect. It, you don't always get the opportunity, Luke to just steal a really bad division like this. That's what the Twins need to take advantage of. So 68 games left, Luke. What does my math tell me? If they go 38 and 30, get some 88 wins, probably get some a division championship. If they win 40 and go 40 and 28, that's a 90-win team. That's a good baseball team. So you can't look at really who you are now, which is, I'd say, a, a medium to good team. Look at who you could be if you added talent. That's what you can be, and that might be requisite of a 90-win team. So I, I hope they make a big move. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think Vance just frustrated with that small market approach season after season, that mindset, and just once in the past 20 years, want to feel like they really just pushed the chips all in and went for it. All out, you know, what the Vikes did in 09 with Favre. Great example. When you're just one or two pieces away from a possible World Series contention, quit teasing us with a signing like Carlos Correa and like you said, Urshela, Gary Sanchez, Sonny Gray, only to start penny-pinching when it gets down to crunch time. One more day of rest for the Twins before they start that second half out. Seven road games in a row start with the Tigers. A little two-game stick 
content that starts tomorrow evening. Rest assured, Sam, Ron, Reggie, and I got you covered every step of the way. All right, time has come. My favorite segment's here. I'm putting Sam on the hot seat covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports. First up, CBS Sports released the three biggest questions for each NFC North team heading into camp. We covered the Vikes yesterday, Reggie and I, with Cousins. Can he take the next step into top 10 status? The offensive line, how improved will they be? And do they have enough secondary depth? For the Packers, however, the biggest question at the top is who will become Aaron Rodgers' new go-to target with Devontae Adams out of the picture? What does it mean for Rodgers and the entire offense without a clear-cut go-to guy for the first time in years? Yeah, and it's not just losing Adams. It's losing Marquez Valdez-Scantling. It's mm-hmm. losing with Equinemius St. Brown. Um, they've got a bunch of wide receiver threes on that roster right now. They've got Lazard. They've got Watkins, who's been who's a nice receiver. He's been a wide receiver three his whole career, really. Um, and you've got Amari Rodgers, who's unproven. You've got Randall Cobb, who's old. And you've got Christian Watson, who's up and coming. So someone's going to have to emerge. Is that someone going to be a Justin Jefferson-like emergence? Or is it going to be just sort of a wide receiver by committee? And here's the scary thing, Luke, for Vikings fans. I'm not sure it matters. Like whether you have a one, a clear one or two, or if there's a pecking order or not, I think Aaron Rodgers can find guys the football, you know, regardless of who's running the routes on the field. Um, so while they may not have a 1,500-yard guy on that roster, they might have a trio of 800-yard guys. And that's what should worry you if you can't really hone in on anyone because Aaron Rodgers has a nice little track record of making average receivers look pretty spectacular. Um, So if they do have a diamond in the rough in a Rodgers or a Watson, look out. But I think they're probably still going to be fine in the passing game, even without a Devontae Adams. Well, and that's the thing, too, with Aaron Rodgers and this Packers offense. You could tell me... You went into the future, you just came back, you saw the stats, and Aaron Jones, the running back, and Robert Tanyan, the tight end, were the top two receivers on this offense, and they still went 13-3. and History has shown us Aaron Rodgers doesn't really matter who he's got. Yeah, it was great that he had a guy like Devontae Adams, but did Devontae Adams make Aaron Rodgers or vice versa? We're going to find out here this year when he goes and plays with Derek Carr here for a little bit, and I'm sure that specific scenario, it's a little bit of both, but yeah, I mean, whether it's Alan Lazard, Rand Cobb. You mentioned Sammy Walk. Sammy Watkins. He could be the clear-cut number two guy in that offense. He could be cut. He could be one of these surprise veteran cuts by the time this is all said and done. After drafting three rookie wide receivers, once they get them into camp and see what they can do in the preseason as well. Amari Rogers, Christian Watson. I think people are starting to overshadow a little bit how good of a running back duo. We talk about Dalvin and Madison and Kenny Nwangu. We brought up on the show with you some of the top running back duos in the NFL. Obviously, Kareem. Hunt, Bradley Chubb gets brought up there, the Colts with Jonathan Taylor. The Packers have one of the best running back tandems in the entire NFL with A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones. So between that and then drafting so many, investing so many early picks on the defensive side of the ball with some key free agent signings like Rasul Douglas, who led the team with six interceptions last year. This doesn't need to be, you know, light up the scoreboard. We got to score 40 points every game type of team anymore for the Packers. That's what's going to be interesting to watch. How much of this balance goes from what we're used to seeing with Aaron Rodgers putting up the fireworks and now becoming more of a defensive balanced or defensive oriented and run the ball first team. But you're right. 
By the time it's all said and done, I don't think it matters either. Not when you got Aaron Rodgers calling the shots. All right, next one up. What does it mean? ESPN's list of top 10 defensive tackles was released last week with four honorable mentions, six others receiving votes. So you got 20 of the top defensive tackles in the league. Not one Viking was mentioned. In fact, only one NFC North alum, that was Kenny Clark, who ranked sixth on the list. What does it mean for the Vikings' interior defensive line with no star power up front and their ability to improve statistically with the new addition of Harrison Phillips? So they swapped out Michael Pierce for Phillips. We know that. They've got Dalvin Tomlinson. Solid, but nowhere close to, you know, kind of elite or superstar status and then like we talked about whether it's Armin Watts or James Lynch kind of penciled in as that third starter is that enough to hold their own here in 2022 or is this kind of a position that maybe quietly we should be worried about and if anybody on the roster sticks out to you who could jump up take a big leap forward and be on this list next year yeah tough to imagine anyone being on the list except one of your big two Dalvin Tomlinson maybe Um, Harrison Phillips probably not going to put up enough traditional sack stats, Mm -hmm. um, you know, force fumble stats to to really get there. The Vikings don't have an Aaron Donald. No one does, Uh, but certainly the Vikings do not. They've, for many years, um, they have lacked pass rushing interior linemen. Now, things are going to look different this year in a 3-4. So it's not necessarily with your two edges putting their hand in the dirt and the two inside guys, you know, on either side of the center. Um, they are going to be moving around. You might have a five tech um, alternating with that nose. I'm not sure you know, how Dalvin and Harrison are going to work that out between the two of them. Um, but I look at the depth there. Do they have any potential pass rushing three techs, for instance, or, you know, or five techs who would be able to, to, to maybe flash a little bit? I think Armin Watts is probably the best prospect type player they have, and he's barely a prospect anymore now. He's into uh, year four. Four, is it? Is it already year four for Armin Watts? I think it might be. No, I think you're right. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, he's already he's in the contract year, but it still feels like he's that young player who's maybe on the verge of doing something big. I think Watts has shown the ability to splash as much as anybody. The wild card would be Jalen Twyman. Vikings defensive lineman who got drafted last year just had a rough time. I mean, Janarius, obviously, no one worse than Jalen Twyman, who was shot and missed the season because of his injuries. Super scary situation. Um, What can he do after having a massive final year at Pittsburgh, but now hasn't played in two years? Um, Can he do something kind of as that undersized defensive tackle? Janarius Robinson didn't play last year because he was hurt, and then Patrick Jones was just buried on the depth chart. So uh, can any of those guys rise up, and particularly Jalen Twyman as a tackle, um, you know, you can't compare everybody everybody to John Randall, but he does have that undersized physique with a high motor. Uh, that, in that sense, does have a little bit of John Randall in him. I don't know if there's any other piece of John Randall in him, but uh, hey, we can dream, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of stings to look at this list. Obviously, again, nice that there's only one other NFC North alum, Kenny Clark. Jeffrey Simmons sitting there at number two. And I remember sitting next to you at TCO when the Vikes drafted Garrett Bradbury. 
And then Jeffrey Simmons goes to the next pick. And we all knew Simmons was going to fall. We didn't know how far. He was supposed to go top five, top seven type of guy. And just to see him go one pick later. And then to know, obviously, that Garrett Bradbury hasn't panned out and lived up to a first-round pick. Seeing the number two defensive tackle in the entire NFL and what could have been only behind Aaron Donald, that one stings a little bit. And then the other thing, you know, we talked about this front office should take a little bit more heat. The old regime for not opening up their wallets and going to sign a Brandon Sheriff turning a weakness into a strength with Joe Thune, guys like that. Trent Williams could have been had for a third and fifth round pick. Well, Leonard Williams is in the honorable mention. He's the first one up, so he's a top 11 defensive tackle for the New York Giants. He was traded away from the Jets for a third and fifth round pick too. So teams that capitalize on trading, whether it's uh, rookies that don't pan out on the rookie contract or disgruntled vets for these day two and day three picks really seem to be able to capitalize and, and turn weaknesses into strength. And you just hope this new regime, I know it doesn't always pan out. It's not a perfect world. Easy in hindsight to say, but I hope they're a little bit more aggressive than the uh, Rick Spielman and, and Mike Zimmer era when it comes to trading and being a little bit more aggressive with those draft picks, especially on day two and day three. All right, that's a wrap. Back here Monday, breaking down more Twins, Vikings, plenty more. Remember, you got to like, rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports. He's Sam Ekstrom. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom. And on the Ron Johnson Show, I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in Monday to Superior Sports Talk, part of Lockdown Sports Minnesota. For Sam, I'm Luke. Until Monday, signing out. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota.